Today in the podcast, we're talking about living more deliberately. My guest is David Frizzle, host of the Team Guru podcast. Having been a guest a couple of times on his podcast, it is so great to have David sitting in the guest seat on this episode. With over 200 interviews under his belt on that podcast alone, I wanted to know if there was anything that connected all the interviews he's conducted. His response was that every episode could be connected through this theme of living more deliberately. So today I give him a call to explore what he's learned and just how we can live a life with a little bit more intention. Hello. Hi. We'll do it live. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Ten. David is a team, leadership, communication, and change consultant. He's worked with a bunch of different organizations across a range of industries. He's also the host of the Team Guru podcast. Since 2015, the podcast has grown from a couple of hundred listeners to more than 20,000 listeners per episode. David pretends that he does the podcast for the sake of his listeners, but really, he just does it to quench his own selfish thirst for new ideas. In September 2019, David swam the English Channel, and he will tell anyone about it in great detail, even if they don't look interested. Today, David lives in Brisbane with his wife and three children, and the family does not own a dog or a cat, but we won't hold that against him. David, it's so great to have you on phone calls with clever people. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here, Shane. As I was saying before record, it's nice to sit on the other side of the microphone for a change. I, I'm, I'm really happy that for once the tables are being turned on you because you've interviewed some of, um, honestly, my favorite people and some good friends of mine. And you interviewed, uh, you've interviewed me a couple of times, which for me is a, the, one of the highest compliments that I can receive as ever, ever is to be invited back on a podcast. And so last time we caught up, I was like, no, nah, next time you are coming on my podcast, we need to pick up that conversation. So yeah, really looking forward to this. An open invitation to you as well, Shane. You don't have to write a new book to get back on my podcast, mate. You just have to come up with a, another idea you're willing to talk about. All right, I'll work on things and we'll come back to you. Um, hey, before we kick off, I always ask three questions, three quick fast facts, which were, where were you born? What was your very first job? And then what do you do now? Yeah, so where I was born, I was born in Brisbane and I was born in the Martyr Hospital, which in nicely is where all three of my children were born as well. So I haven't moved very far in life. I live close enough to where my parents used to live that our children were all born in the same hospital. All right. Okay. I, look, mutual Queenslander by birth here. I, I use in my bio, I'm a, I'm a Queenslander by birth, Melbourneian by choice, but Queensland still holds a special place in my heart, especially three times a year when a, a state of origin game is played. Uh, what was your first job? Well, my first job, like many, I guess, was a trolley boy. So I was a trolley boy uh, from about grade 10. I think I was 15 when I first got that job. You know, and I, I, I've told this story before on my podcast. I'm probably still employed there theoretically. They just stopped giving me shifts. So <laughs> they never actually fired me, but I think they did the next best thing. Just didn't give me shifts anymore. I'll tell you what happened. You know, you sometimes see trolley boys with that big line of trolleys. I was doing that thing, pushing too many. And I was going through the big glass sliding doors of the shopping center. And I was on about my fifth shift ever. And 
the trolley's caught on the massive glass sliding door and I thought, oh, I could walk all the way up there and get it off or I could just keep pushing and see where this leads. And of course, within a few seconds, the massive glass door just turned white and shattered to the floor <laughs> and there was about 20 tonnes of glass lying all over the floor and that was the last time I ever pushed trolleys. I can't understand why they didn't give you more shifts. That's really confusing to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And, and obviously come a long way since pushing trolleys through doors. What, yeah. are you, uh, what are you doing with yourself now? Well, my main thing, I, I feel like my main thing is my podcast. And of course, that earns me zero dollars and zero cents every year. <laughs> but it's the most interesting thing I do. I guess theoretically or, or in practice, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a leadership and communication consultant. And you know, a lot of our listeners will know that the natural home for leadership and communication within an organization is around change, managing change. And uh, I found myself in the last decade working a lot in the change management space, helping large organizations who are doing big change agendas, manage that planet, um, do the day-to-day communications that come along with it. So that's the space that I find myself working in. Look, you had me at communication. I was already in. I mean, we, we, we kind of share a mutual uh, love for the important role that communication plays um, in leadership and in organizations. I, I'm, I'm really curious to know, I mean, take us back to the start of the podcast, um, which is, is Teams, Guru, Team Guru, Teams Guru, sorry, is um, wh- where did that start? What was the kind of inception moment? Was it like a lightning strike? You went, I've got to start a podcast. Did you fall into it? What did it look like? Oh, that, that's a great story, actually, that I don't tell very often. So when we had our first child, a boy who's now nine, so this was a while ago now, I my wife took the first 12 months off work and then I took the second 12 months off work. So it was a beautiful tag team thing at about his first birthday. My wife and I high five. She walked out to work and I walked in and stayed home for a year. And that was amazing. And it was the most amazing experience of my life. And I think it formed the nature of my relationship with my son and then our next two kids as well. But I, I guess during that period, I was, I was, I had an urge for something a little bit more intellectual, you know, Groundhog Day comes to mind when you think about spending all day every day with kids it's a beautiful experience but there was something missing so I kind of started the podcast during that period to scratch the intellectual itch to do something professional without going out to work so that's where it came from and you know I I think like a lot of podcasters I thought that I would start my podcast because I was also thinking about starting my own consultancy at that point as well. I thought I would start my own podcast and then the work would just come flooding in the gate and I'd have to hire five staff to manage all the offers I had coming in. I thought, you know, sort of content marketing was going to be really powerful. So that's why I started it. And that's not why I have continued it. Anyone who has a podcast or even who writes a book will know that the day you publish your book, your email is not inundated with people wanting to pay you money to come and talk to them. But it's a slow burn and it's a long burn and it, it starts to create your reputation in the field. So I do it now because I get to speak with really clever people a lot of the time who've just written a book. So they're really articulate about their ideas. And it just 
it shelves me with ideas. I just have so much content that I've worked with people on that I've had these experts help me understand. 180 odd episodes, not all of them are amazing. That's that's definitely the, the truth, but a whole chunk of them, a huge percentage of them have taught me something really important. And a smaller percentage have actually changed the way I fundamentally think about things. So that's why I continue to do the podcast. It's not because it brings in revenue. It doesn't do any of that. I've always resisted the offers to have advertising on my podcast. It's still advert free um, because I just get so much out of it professionally. It's so interesting when you talk about podcasting as, you know, this kind of potential uh, revenue raiser, this, you know, career path that people would want to go down. I mean, yes, there's value obviously in getting um, people valuing your work and paying you for what you do, but there's also an extreme amount of value from just being able to connect your thinking with great minds and mm-hmm. be able to have this kind of um, cross-pollination of ideas and creativity. And um, there was a, a, a book that I can't remember what I was reading. It might've been, uh, look, it's, it's escaped me now, but he, he used this phrase. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it might've been Franz Johansson in the Medici effect. He, t- he says, we're thinking mingles. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. really love that idea of thinking mingling with other people. And you've got to do that time and time again with really great minds and really clever thinkers. Um, How do you feel like that's shaped just the way that your, you know, your own thinking takes place? Has it sharpened it? Has it changed it in any way? Yeah, most definitely. Uh, It's a journey in itself. You know, there was a period where I could name all of the podcasts that I had done, uh, the number of podcasts it was, and all of the big ideas that came out of it. And I clung on to that for a while. But then, of course, the the damn wall bursts at some point, and <laughs> no one can remember, you know, more, you know, basically two hundred episodes that I've had. So, I, I I've always find myself I've I've I keep really good records of all the podcasts that I have and the the big ideas that come out of it. And I find myself just sort of pouring over there, those records sometimes, remembering how good some of those episodes were and I you know sometimes I forget about them and I go back and realize oh wow not only did I have that episode but it's actually shaped the way I think I I just forgot where I got the the first information from and I I go back and listen to favorite episodes from time to time as well it's um it's 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 a magnificent experience what was your question I forgot your question (laughs) no I mean it's great has it has it has it sharpened the way that you think I mean it leads leads me to ask this question which is does what you do online so so all the podcasts the conversations you've had has it changed the way that you do things offline so when when you come across a person you know, through your work or just through your personal network, do you find yourself assuming that position of the interviewer or the the curious mind, like looking for the gold in other people? Yeah, I do. It's a, it's a really helpful skill. You know, the, I, I probably started off with okay skills. I, I had been a, a high school English teacher for a long time. So the comms stuff was was bedrock in in my professional character I guess I'm you know I'm someone who likes to present and teach and stand out at the front of the group talking having a conversation with someone and extracting stuff out of them came pretty naturally but of course I've gotten better at it over the period that I've been doing it which is seven years I think so yes I do find myself doing that but I'll tell you where it's really helpful Shane I am a hopeless introvert so theoretically an introvert you know the sort of person for whom social interaction costs energy it doesn't mean that I can't socially interact of course but it just means that while I'm doing it it costs me energy and so I've found myself using my 
podcast interview technique in social circumstances to get out of talking. If you can <laughs> ask someone good questions and listen to their answers and then ask a follow-up question that's relevant and interesting, then people are willing to talk. And if you can do that to someone, they will stand with you and do 90% of the work at a social function. And I can just stand there as an introvert and sort of just ride their wave. I'm so glad that you said that. That is my life. People will often say to me, oh, you seem like you're, you know, really outgoing and I watch you in conversations and you just hold these great conversations. And what you're saying is exactly what I'm doing. I'll often hang out with people and spend most of my time just standing and listening to them talk about really interesting things. Yeah. And uh, I look at, you know, my Clifton strengths through Gallup and my number one is uh, is ideation and then belief and connectedness and learner. And the learner and the ideation are the two that I leverage whenever I go out to network with people. Because for me, I'm energized and lit up by talking about ideas and hearing what people are learning and hearing what people are thinking and using it to sharpen my own thinking. So when I'm in a room, it actually is the most energizing experience being able to ask other people's questions. But if they come to um, the room to try to hear from me, then it's a very different experience in the process of that. Yeah, it is a great school. You know, some people are really good at that. Though There's a guy that I'm thinking of who is a, a guy in my community who is better at it than I am. So I find he's the one person who, <laughs> when I talk to him, I do all the talking. And then I walk away from that thinking, oh, God, you just got me talking for 90% of that. You just kept <laughs> asking me questions about myself. So he's the one that tricks me out. But it's almost he's the aberration that proves the rule interacting with him and I just did so pretty recently which is why it's fresh in my mind reminds me of what I normally do to people but he he gets the better of me <laughs> all right so let's let's really dig into this you've done you know nearly what 200 episodes of the podcast um, somewhere around there like you've done a significant amount of interviews with some really clever people if you were to kind of take a bit of a walk down memory lane we were kind of helicoptering over the the episodes that you've done and you're looking at the the big kind of um, uh, look landmarks or kind of things that stand out to you from these interviews. Mm. Do they have things in common? Like they were all so different. Do they have things in common, or were there big themes that stood out to you from the conversations? Yeah, there's one theme that over over time has percolated away in my mind, and and I come out with these words now that feel right about the lesson that I've learnt through all of those conversations, and that is to live deliberately. No one on my podcast has ever said those words, but when it adds up, and I think there are over 200, and I'll tell you why I don't know the number, because I have a guy that helps me put them online, and sometimes he doubles up on a number or forgets to number an episode. So <laughs> the one that we've just published today is 180. But I think on my feed, on the podcast feed, it's over 200 because just over time, we've forgotten to number a bunch of episodes. So that, but even though no one has ever said those words, live deliberately, that's what it kind of all adds up to because I've had... Uh, all of these guests come on my podcast with these great ideas and often those ideas are about a niche issue. You know, someone like you came on and talked about the conversations that you need to have to have the culture at work that you want. And you gave some really great insight into what that means. And then you left us with those those kind of tangible nuggets. And I've done that, I've done that 200 times with people where they come on with a great idea. And yours is about being deliberate 
as a leader in the way that you want to establish a culture in your organization. And the, the first time that you came on my podcast was about how to lead the room, episode 120 for those who were interested. And again, you left us with some really powerful concepts. I, I remember the process versus practice concept that you delivered and you talked about that in the context of your marathon running and that was great advice that stuck with me and I remember the three obsessions positioning messaging and developing and as I say I've done that type of thing hundreds of time with people who have got that kind of quality insight uh, and it all adds up to me whether it's the way you communicate at work whether it's the way you lead your team whether it's the way you set up your own life the the, the way that you have difficult conversations and I just did an awesome episode with someone who gave me some really great tips about having hard conversations, how you have career conversations. I've done episode, I did an episode with Michelle McQuaid well, way back in the double figures of my podcast, which was a positive leadership masterclass is the title of the podcast. And she just left me with these amazing ideas. So I could go on and on about the, the different episodes that I've done and the different topics that we've covered. But for me, it all adds up to living deliberately. If you're going to do something in life, have relationships, um, do a hobby, be a professional, lead a team, whatever that might be, uh, the, the takeaway messaging for me is is to do it deliberately. Think about the best ways. Think about the, the, the best practice that's been established, the great ideas uh, of those who've come before you and take those on board, make them your own. And rather than just sort of blindly stumbling through whatever you're doing, just kind of be deliberate about it. Mm, I love the word deliberate. I mean, I often will use the word intentional, again, interchangeable kind of in that sense. But I think the word deliberate has this real energy behind it about I'm, I'm not just being intentional, but I'm really going after that thing with some effort and force um, towards some kind of uh, outcome with intention. Um, I, I love the Dolly Parton quote um, that she says, figure out who you are and then do it on purpose. And I just love that idea of doing something on purpose, mm. which leads, leads me to kind of believe that it's possible for us to be in leadership or in life and not be deliberate. If, if this Absolutely. is a consistent theme of these people coming through, people are being deliberate. It's, yeah. What's, what's the alternative? What do people do if they're not being deliberate? I think they're being led by the nose and, and if, and that could be an evil thing because we're surrounded by temptations in our life that aren't always in our best interests. You know, think about the most obvious ones, you know, the end of a Netflix episode, what happens at the end of a Netflix episode? It offers. I don't know. I've never seen one. (laughs) I've always clicked next episode. I've always clicked it. I've never watched an end. (laughs) That's what happens. They, they offer you the next episode and we know statistically that we don't get enough sleep. People in, 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 Australia and, and countries like it do not get enough sleep and all of the con- con- consequences of that in the short term and the long term. And here we have this little tool that we all love. Everyone loves Netflix and, and other apps like that, that is almost trying to steal away the the sleeping time that we have. In fact, I, 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 a third or second hand, I read that the CEO of Netflix says that the greatest inhibitor to their growth is sleep. If they could just stop people from wanting to sleep, then Netflix would be booming even more than it already is. So if you think about that then, and, and how many times that plays out around our life, just where if we go with the flow and are not deliberate, you can 
not go to bed when you thought you were going to bed. And that means that has consequences for the morning. It means that you might not get up and do that exercise that you know is good for you. Or you might get up late and be behind the eight ball already in the morning and, and you know, be, be, be chasing yourself all the way to work. And, and the consequences that that has for the beginning of your day, not starting your day in a deliberate kind of fashion. Uh, it, 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 it's also the way you know, that those kind of ideas around not living deliberately uh, flow into the food that we eat as well. I mean, think about what food is most accessible, uh, most recognizable when you're on the run or on the road or moving about. It's bad food, fast food that's not great for you. So if you're not living deliberately and making deliberate steps to, to make choices that you're going to be satisfied with, you can be led astray really easily. And if you just go with the flow in life, um, people will make money out of you. And that's not always necessarily the best thing for you. Mm. I, I I immediately went to, look, I felt immediately guilty when you talked about the fast food one, because that's, that's literally the story of my life when I'm traveling, which I always know that if I don't make a decision now, I lose my ability to make the choices later. Like I yeah. always find that I go, okay, I've got to go out now. It's, you know, quarter to 12. I'm a bit of, in a bit of a rush because I've, you know, not left enough time for to have lunch at home. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. I'll just get something when I'm out. I leave the house and I Thank drive into the city. city and I'm on my way. And I go, I probably could have made a decision back there, but I didn't. And now I'm trying to make choices on the fly and my options become limited. Yes. And I want to try and get something that's easy, fast, on the way, something I can eat in the car because I'm, you know, having a loud margin. And all of a sudden, what I thought was going to be a really easy choice becomes a really default <laughs> decision and a default choice. I mean, you would see that play out everywhere, right? Like, what would that, what would that look like? How would that play out at an organizational level or in a leadership level? Oh, the the temptations in a workplace to do the wrong thing are, are so thorough and powerful. You know, we know as a leader. So, you know, of all the things that I've talked about in leadership, it comes down to three things, and they're broad things that take a lot of work, but they are these, to, to communicate a vision, to motivate each of the individuals that you influence towards that vision, and to develop staff along the way. So if you're a leader, you're doing those three things, and they're big, mm. broad ideas. But if you're a busy person, and you are under the pump, and everything comes to you for endorsement, and you've got your boss on your case to move things forward, and things that were important yesterday are no longer important today, and you're being dragged along to back to back to back to back to back meetings all day, every day, and you don't have time to think, then chances are you're not doing those things really deliberately. You're not doing a great job of articulating a vision. You're not doing a great job of motivating all of the individuals who need to be motivated in a different way towards that vision. And certainly, this is the great forgotten, you're not developing your staff along the way because you're just so busy de delivering the stuff that has to get delivered in an hour that didn't exist yesterday, wasn't important yesterday, but now all of a sudden it's an emergency. Those kind of cliche problems. If you are a non-deliberate leader, then you're letting yourself get stuck in back-to-back -back meetings. And then people sit in front of you expecting a decision out of you 
about something that you have given no thought to because you've just come from five other meetings, but you've got to make this decision right now. Um, we, you know, we'll easily fall into the, the, the trap of having shifting priorities, things that were really important yesterday and not important today. All of those things are traps that leaders fall into. They're the leadership equivalent of watching one too many or two too many Netflix episodes at night and not getting up in the morning. They're the leadership equivalent of not planning ahead for the lunch that you know you want to eat, that's good for you to eat, that you'll feel good about having eaten, and then just getting something compared to getting something fast on the run that you you know you you haven't got time to do anything else about. They're the leadership mm. equivalents of of those mistakes that we make in life. Oh, it's super, super important because I think about, you know, people that I've worked with and the comment that I'll often hear from them is, oh, my, my, my week this week is just back-to-back meetings and I've got no time in my calendar. And I'll often ask the question, why is that? And they'll be like, oh, because people just booked back-to-back meetings in my calendar. And I just think to myself, how did they, how did they do that? How do they allow have to have? And because well, my calendar was free, accept. it was vacant. I hadn't put anything in my calendar. And yet, other times they would be like, well, I can't, I'm not available Wednesday afternoon because I'm going to be at a conference or I'm not available on Tuesday because we're in another exec retreat or anything, something like that. Yet when the calendar appointments in there, everything else can shift around it. But yet we're not thinking through the next two to three weeks of deliberately to say, hey, I need to block out some time for focus time or some just breathing room margins around my meetings. Um, we're not as deliberate with some of those things. And so as a result of that, we have to deal with the ramifications of that. So whether it's two years time, a year's time, and we go, I haven't been developing my team. And now I'm trying to recruit internally. And I go, oh, none of my team are ready. They can't step up. Maybe it's like, I need to take some time off, but I can't trust my team to do the work because the, then there's a capability gap that I haven't take the time to, taken the time to invest in them. And these are the things that show up later, right? When we're not deliberate now, it shows up later. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can fool yourself for a while and you can even fool yourself as the obvious consequences start to stack up around you. You can keep fooling yourself that you can firefight your way out of it, but you can't. Mm. Hey, you know, talking about episodes that have influenced me along my journey as a podcaster, one of the greatest ones that I've ever done was way back in, and I'm just checking notes, episode 25. So it was a long time ago. I spoke to a guy called Craig Ballantyne, who has written a book about setting rules he's a he's a, a really energetic guy he's got a the 5 a.m club which is um which is a really strong thing i can't even remember the name of his book but the episode stuck with me and his catch cry this is his motto rules will set you free so mm. the the apparent contradiction in that and he is so convincing and he convinced me but i think i was fertile ground i think i tended towards this anyway and he was just someone who was super energetic and super articulate who came along and gave me a system for thinking about it. Now, Craig advocates that we should have rules for everything in, that's important in our life, and he suggests seven of them. Seven of them is a lot. I, since speaking with Craig, have found myself always having a, a menu of two or three or four rules that I'm living by that just ensure I make choices that I'm happy with. For example, Craig talks about always having a set go to bed and wake up time, no matter what, because that's the the basis of everything. And he calls you wake up time, the honest wake up time for you. So not the wake up time that will mean you have to run around and rush and be behind the eight ball. And he talks about how bad it is for your day to start at 
rushed. He talks about having an honest wake-up time and therefore an honest bedtime that gives you eight hours of sleep in between. He talks about having rules around meals. My rule around meals, for example, and this is one that I've lived with for years and have zero trouble uh, um, committing to, and that is I only eat junk food on Saturdays. So I can... I, I eat really well all week. Uh, I'm very diligent and it's no decision. I don't agonize it every day because it's just locked in. It's a rule and I, I don't I don't re-prosecute it every time a temptation comes across my, my table. I say no to junk food until Saturday and then I can go gangbusters and I can eat whatever I want. And that's just a rule that's been really clear for me and has been super easy to follow. It means that I'm that rude person in workplaces when it's someone's 40th birthday or someone's leaving or there's an anniversary. The only thing we ever do in workplaces to celebrate that is everyone brings in a plate of sugar and we put that plate of sugar on the table and we stand around making small talk, eating food that we shouldn't eat. Now, I just stand there and make the small talk. I just avoid eating the food we shouldn't eat because it's not Saturday. I don't re-prosecute it. I don't agonize over it. I never falter. That's my rule. And Craig had that incredible impact on me, like I said, by giving me a system and giving me language and, and almost just reinforcing how important that is in life. And I have a couple of rules around things that, that just stick with me. Like, for example, I swim, Shane. I love swimming. It's my fitness thing. It's my mental health thing. And the last time I missed a swim session was 2012 because I just don't miss swim sessions. My, wow. my, my squad kicks off at 5.15 in the morning and I'm there 100% of the time because I remember I missed two sessions quite close to each other in 2012 and it drove me nuts. It was that, that extra hour or and a half I got of sleep that day was nowhere near the pain of knowing I'd missed the thing that I love, that I maybe had to try and make up that session at some point during the week. And I remember I just had a moment, I thought, I'm never doing that again. I'm never turning off my alarm and rolling <laughs> over and going back to sleep because I it's a bad decision and it makes me dissatisfied for the rest of the day. So that is a rule. So even if I can't get to sleep at night and that sometimes happens, it's 1130 and I'm up having to read myself to sleep or whatever it is, I still think you're getting up at 4.55 in, in the morning and you're going swimming. That's your mm -hmm. rule. I never miss. So I just have a couple of those rules and it, you know, and it sounds like I'm, I'm extremely arrogant about it and, uh, you know, <laughs> self-satisfied, but actually they're just rules that suit me and your rules will be different. Um, but they, they do exactly what I want from them in mm. my life. They, they allow me to focus on the things that make me satisfied and make me happy and, and, and avoid regrets. Mm. I, I, I'm glad you said that because the immediate quote that came to my mind was that you either deal with the pain of discipline or the pain of regret yeah. um, and better to deal with the pain of discipline than having to deal with the pain of regret after a period Absolutely. of time. Absolutely. And that's exactly, you just articulated exactly that feeling that I had in 2012 when I missed two swim sessions in a couple, within a couple of weeks of each other. I, I would rather deal with the, the pain of discipline than the pain of regret. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I'm also curious to know whether or not this is a, a subtle segue into um, swimming the English channel. Because uh, I was always curious if you were if you were throwing the swimming in there. We have to at least touch on that for a few seconds. 
well, it, unpack that a bit. Well, I can't. I can't talk. I can't talk about my life and and discipline without talking about swimming because it's such a big part of that. And any time someone wants to talk to me about swimming, <laughs> the English Channel, I will talk to them about it because it's something I'm very proud of. I did it in 2019 after a, a long time of wanting to, and it was amazing. It was everything that I wanted. I was the 2,034th person in history to swim in the English Channel, Shane, and uh, I'm I'm super it's proud incredible. of it. Incredible. I'm not going to be one of those people who goes back and does it again and, and again and tries to do a double. I was so I was super satisfied with it. I mean, it wasn't out of the blue. Swimming is my thing, but swimming that kind of distance it was unusual. So there was um, a really specific period of training and, and, and ridiculous discipline that came with that. I had to get used to swimming in the cold, of course, because one of the things, you know, there are two challenges in the English Channel. One of them is how far it is, and the other one is how cold it is. And as a boy from Brisbane, we don't get much experience in cold water, so I had to go and find that. And it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. The training was amazing as an experience, the people I met along the way. And of course, the event itself was super cool. So yeah, I'll talk about that anytime. <laughs> but I think that again, as, as, as fun as the opportunity is to talk about that, and I would literally be talking about that at every given moment had I have done it. That's me and my marathon story. Like if I can find a way to weave in that I've run a marathon before, then I'm all over that. But what, what I see that as a reflection of is as it was a deliberate achievement. I want to do this, mm. but it was the consequence of a deliberate life. It was Absolutely. your consistent discipline day in, day out to swimming, not this achievement that was, oh, I'm going to swim the English Channel. Let me just do what I need to do now. Um, so much of it, I feel like, is a, is, is a result of, of discipline. Someone said to me once, um, I think I was working with a psychologist, and he said, Shane, he uses this Swiss cheese metaphor. And it's a really interesting one. He said, like, imagine there's a plane flying through slices of Swiss cheese. Now, why he chose that as the metaphor, I don't know, but it really grabbed me. Um, but he said, like, if you think about the way Swiss cheese is, there's all these holes all through Swiss cheese. He said, it's possible for a plane to randomly fly through all the holes. Like, if you think about it, like, it's statistically possible that they're going to fly through a whole bunch of slices of cheese and not hit the wall. He said, but the reality is at some point you'll hit a wall if they're not aligned. And he said, it's possible to accidentally and sometimes fall into certain things. For example, we achievement, right? We accidentally achieve what we want. So I say to some people, like, we've built a great culture. Well, what did we do? Well, we didn't do anything to build that great culture. It's just great. It's just so happened that we've flown through the holes of the cheese by grabbing great people, putting them together in a room. They happen to be aligned around certain things. And it's possible to live an accidental life. So what's the case for just accidentally falling through life versus being more intentional and deliberate about the life you want to create? That's an excellent question. I, I wondered where the Swiss cheese analogy was going, but I do understand it now. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you could accidentally, you know, wake up one day when you're 50 and go, hey, wow, I've nailed every part of my life and I'm super satisfied with it. But chances are you won't. And I can only speak for myself. I know I wouldn't because I'm like everyone tempted by another episode of Netflix. And I'm like everyone tempted by junk food. My particular taste takes me to ice cream and chocolate and pizza and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going to smash into the walls of the Swiss cheese as well if I'm not flying deliberately. So for me, no, I wouldn't have achieved some of the things that I'm really proud of without being deliberate. I wouldn't have the relationship with my kids without being deliberate, you know, because sometimes when your kids come and ask you, do you want to play Lego? Do you want to do this? You don't 
feel like it at all. But it's really important for the relationship you develop with your kids, well, with my kids, that I do those things. And I'm deliberate about those things. I had a little rule for a while. Every time my kids asked me to play something, I would say yes. Just yes, no matter what it was. Like the the, the dad from Bluey. And that was really nice. I'm, I'm, I've got to admit, I'm probably not great at following that rule. And it was not one of my most successful rules. But at least the concept was important because I don't always feel like it. But I know that they're forming their memories of childhood. They're forming their understanding of what it's like to have a relationship with your dad and your mum and with your siblings. So I want to be a really positive part of that. And if I had to just let myself go uh, without being deliberate, then I might have been a, a lazier, less involved dad. Mm. I mean, there's so many kind of context in which a person could apply this to. And I know there's different people who listen to this podcast. Some people are in leadership. Some people are aspiring to leadership. Some people just listen to it because they love the thinking and the and um, they're curious people like me. I, what I love about this is that it's pointing to just if we're more deliberate now, we get the advantages and the benefits of that being deliberate later. And I was having a conversation in one of the earlier episodes that's coming out in this season of the podcast with a good friend of mine, Rebecca Southerns. And she says, sometimes when we're in the thing that we're in, we don't know what we really need. And she said, like, if you think about running the marathon for the example, if you asked me at that kind of 40 kilometer mark, what I wanted, I would say oh, a lie down, a nap, some water, a, a warm cup of tea and some comfort. She said, but if I was the coach for you in that moment, and I knew that the finish line was two kilometers away, what would I be saying to you right now? I'm not going to give you what you want in this moment because I know what's ahead of you is much better for you. And you're Absolutely. going to get the satisfaction of having finished the race. And so when I think about this, one of the coaching questions I'll often, often ask the clients I work with is what would future me thank present me for starting right now? Yeah. And for me, that's always what I, this feels like this whole conversation is gearing towards like right now in the moment, we don't know what we want but we know future us is cheering towards us being making the deliberate decision now to end us up where we ultimately need to be in the future. Is that kind of what I'm hearing in this conversation? That is a really great lens. And I, I you've just given me some, some really articulate deliberate thoughts to have around that, because I think I sort of stumble across that thought without labeling it. I think a lot of the time I am acting for future me and, and present me would rather just lie on the couch or open that bag of lollies or go and have another ice cream. But future me, I know, will be much more satisfied by making the tougher decision. I was drawn to a, a little saying I heard that life is easy when you live it the hard way, but it's hard oh. when you live it the easy way. And I really subscribe to that. It's not something that Craig Ballantyne said back in episode 25, but I, I think he would agree with that kind of sentiment. Oh, I, that that for me sums up so much of what we've been talking about is we've got to make hard decisions now. And I, I immediately am drawn to my, my mind goes straight to the, the leader um, who's got to make a really hard decision now. Like got to make a hard choice. Have that but the sentiment of that it is the sentiment of that is rarely positive. Like if you think about hard decisions now have very, you know, not always the most positive sentiment, but as they go on, people have those realizations like, Oh, now I get why you made that decision. Yeah. And by the time you've had to endure all of it, you get a little bit of relief at the end of a people who are saying, you know, hey, I, I respect you for making that hard decision. Flip it, 
that you make the easy decision now, you ignore the behavior that should have been addressed, you you don't make the structural changes that you know that the set up the organization for success. You enjoy the satisfaction, the sentiment now where people are like, hey, you're doing such a great job. Thanks for not making that or thanks for you know doing this. And then over time they realize, hey, that was a really bad decision and you have to deal with the long-term consequences of that. Absolutely. Absolutely, that is that is exactly where all this adds up to. It's, it's very interesting, and, and once again, to to labour the the swimming the English Channel thing. So you swim the English Channel in 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 the UK summer, obviously, which it means it's winter here, which is great um, because the water is as cold here as it will ever get. There's a dam out here at Brisbane called Anogra Reservoir, and it gets really lovely and cold. And about the time of swimming the English Channel, at English Channel season, the reservoir is about as cold as the English Channel because it's our winter. And so part of my training was every Saturday, I would go to the inaugural reservoir at 2.30 in the morning to get used to swimming at night and swim either whatever my, my schedule said. Some weeks it was a two hour, some weeks it was a four hour, and some weeks it was an eight hour swim. So get in in the dark in the middle of July or August at 2.30 in the morning and swim for eight hours. And obviously I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be in bed, but I had this really clear goal and I wasn't going to get to that goal if I lived life the easy way. I needed to live life the hard way. And there are so many parallels with that. You know, if you're a leader in a team and you've got this this grand vision for that team and the work that you're going to do, then you're going to have to get up at 2 a.m. and swim in some really cold water for a while. And it's going to mm. be really uncomfortable. But while, you know, while you're doing that, you know it's getting you where you want to go. Oh, super, super helpful. Now, I have to ask, one of the things I often ask people who come and join me on the podcast is I, I ask people to give me like a big word or a phrase or, you know, it's just a thought starter for us to kick off the conversation with. Yeah. And you wrote third place. Yeah. in yours and I, I didn't ask you about it beforehand because I was curious to kind of ask you on the actual podcast what does that what does that mean to you oh it's so important to me I reckon that this is one of the least known powerful concepts that 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 have an impact on all of our lives whether we know it or not so the third place is this really powerful psychological concept first place is where you live it's your home everyone has a first place Everyone has a second place. That is where we work. But the idea of third place is super important to our life, but it's the most neglected place in our life. So a third place has all these really important characteristics. It's somewhere that you go and you belong. You are with a community of people who share something in common. And the idea of a third place is that there, there is no hierarchy there. It doesn't matter what you do for a job. It doesn't matter where you live, what suburb you live in, or what your status is at work or anything like that. When you go to this third place, everyone is equal. And there are all sorts of different third places that we have in our life, and they're a reflection of our personality. But Sometimes these third places slip off the radar because we get too busy with our other two places. But we know from studies about well-being that it's super, super important. Let me give you some examples of, of third places. They could be coffee shops, a bar. And, and I'm someone who would judge that. When I, when I first looked into this concept, oh, a bar can't be a third place. You go there and drink alcohol. What a, what a terrible place. But actually, for some people, it is. And think mm. about the, that show, Cheers. And I, I know I'm showing my age there. <laughs> Cheers was the bar where everyone knows your name. 
And mm. you go there and there was Dr. Fraser Crane, the psychiatrist. Then there was the mailman. And there were all kinds of different people from different walks of lives. But they knew each other's names. They belonged there. They sat there and had a chat. It was a community where they felt like they belonged. It wasn't work and it wasn't home. It was their third place. And we, we can all imagine the types of third places that we have. There's coffee shops. You know, I go to my coffee shop and I feel brutally practical there because I just want a coffee. But I can tell when, I, when I'm thinking and looking around that for some people, that's their third place. They got their coffee, but they still lean on the counter chatting to the barista or chatting to the other people who come into it because they've, they've identified that whether sort of consciously or subconsciously as a place that's important for them. And we all have, well, we, we should all have them and they all play a different role in our life. But I reckon it's something that slips off our radar all too quickly when we are busy with our first or our second place. What about you, Shane? What, what do you think when you hear the concept of third place? Oh, I, I, re I think this I really like because it fits in with that living a more deliberate life. We, when we're not, when we're living accidentally, we get caught in the to and from which is I go to work, I go from work, I go to home, I go from home. And it's just binary, like it's to and from. Whereas this third place invites people to explore the parts that fall in between, the, the moments in the cracks. So I think about an example for me, you know, when, I, when we used to go to conferences a lot, you know, pre-COVID and starting to kind of come back again. For me, it was not about the speakers or you know it was not about necessarily the the um the pre-event before then it was all those little conversation that happened in the margins all those little cracks those little kind of moments and um it was, it's all these kind of like margin moments within life so it's like i'm on my way somewhere and I stop over and somewhere in between. I stop and I get a coffee in my coffee shop. For me, probably it's very similar. The coffee shop is my my third place. I just sit and I, I watch people and I talk to people and we have moments where we get to know the people that are around us and we have these kind of moments in the margins. Um, but for me, I've always loved that idea of, of the, the the life in the margins. And uh, the reason why margin, the, the word that I use margin, I, I heard someone describe, do you remember, look, do you remember the old school days when you would draw your kind of... Um, your notebooks out and you get your rule and you draw a line down the side of the page for your margin. Yes. And I, I heard someone describe this. Now you could probably tell me whether it's true or not. Someone said the whole purpose of writing the margin was so that you could allow the teacher to go and write comments in yeah, the margin. Apparently. Is that true or false? I think that is true. <laughs> That's what I've heard as well. Well, I've heard that, right? So when you, what was the purpose of that? Those, those margins were so that you could make comments on the work that you were currently undertaking. And most of our time, I feel like we write so full on the page. We don't get that margin to sit back and look at the bigger picture and make comments on the bigger picture, which is why I love what you talk about, which is, Hey, if we, if we look at our podcast, there's so many great detailed podcasts, but what you've done is you've taken a step back and you've drawn and you've written something in the margins and that margin helps bring sense and make sense of the, the, the detail that's taking place. So a long winded way for me to say is like first place and second place are helpful, but the third place is where I get in a margin and I get the clarity of what does this all mean for me? It's incredibly important. And, and like I said, you know, it's different for everyone. When I think about the third places that have been really important in my life, because I'm such a sport head, they've all been sporty things. And the sport was important. You know, the golf or the swimming or the cricket is what got me there. But there was something about the interacting. And, you know, you go, so I've got a swim squad that I swim with. And those guys 
are so much more important in my life than the three sessions we do together. You know, we've got a WhatsApp group that that's a light every day. Um, they are super important to my life, but disproportionately to the time that I spend with them, it's that we've all kind of made this unspoken agreement that this is our third place. This is one of the places in our life that's super busy, super important to us. And it could, you know, it could be anything. It could be a church, cafe, any type of club, a public library, a bookstore, a park, a bar, whatever it is to you. And if you look back over your life, you'll see a pattern of what your third places have tended to be and the way that you interact with them. Maybe you have, maybe you're someone that just has one third place and it's a boots and all. I put my whole life into this and I always go to this one thing. Or maybe you're someone like me who has a, a sort of a smattering of third places across their life and they're really important, but you kind of you kind of um, even out the importance across a couple of those places. But either way, we've had them and, and you might not have them now. And I, and I think that's the value of bringing this up is, is the idea of just reflecting for yourself. Because when you've heard the, convers- the, you know, the concept of third place, either you don't have one right now and as soon as I start talking about it, you remember, oh God, that's right. I used to do this, this and this and that was really important to me and then these things changed in my life like I had kids or I changed careers or whatever it was. I don't have that anymore and I've just realized I miss it or you're listening to it going, yeah, I have that third place in my life and I really value it and this label third place just helps make helps me understand why I value it so much. So they're the reactions I normally get from people when I'm talking about third place. And the number of people I've shared this with, and I'm a, a bit of a disciple about it at the moment, and they and it sort of inspires them. And they walk around, they walk away kind of looking into the sky with their imagination eyes going, yeah, that's right. What, what could I do mm. to get back into that? Because I've let it slide. And even I let it slide. I'm someone who's really conscious of it, but even I let it slide through the early years of parenthood, just not prioritizing that third place because my second place was so busy. And with a really busy second place, I, oh, sorry, my first place, home. And with a really busy first place being home, I kind of had to, you know, do as much as I could to make my second place work still function. So therefore my third place dropped off completely. But what that actually does is take a really important part of you and parks it for a number of years. So again, back to the concept of living deliberately, knowing how important those places are to us, it's important to find the time and the space to to get yourself there. Mm. I love that. I was going to ask the question, what's something practically people can do? And I think that's the answer to that question, which is if, if, you, if nothing else out of this conversation about living a deliberate life, if you just start with that one question, what's my third place right now? How do we I'd be more deliberate in finding that place? I think that's a really practical next step for people. Now, I want to bring this into land. One of the things I would love to do is I want you to imagine like I'm just giving you like a little soapbox on the other side of the screen for you to stand up on and to right. speak directly to the listeners of this podcast about why should they live a deliberate life. In like 30 or 40 seconds, speak directly to them. Why should a person live more deliberately? Because you'll be happier and you'll live longer. And that's, you know, that, that is, that is what it really comes down to. And there, there's such huge concepts, but we know that you'll live longer. There's a famous study that's been done by Harvard and Dr. Robert Waldinger is the fourth generation director of that. So it's the longest study of happiness, human happiness ever. And if you've ever heard Dr. Rob, 
talk. He is just fantastic. He's so passionate. And he talks about the fact that deep human connections are the number one predictor of longevity and happiness in life. Did you know that the the quality of your relationships are a better predictor of health in midlife than your cholesterol or your heart in terms of how you'll be later in life, how long you'll live and how happy you'll be. So by not living deliberately, you're living at the whim of Facebook and Netflix and McDonald's and whoever else is trying to make money out of your insecurities or your soft, easy decisions that you make on the run. If you want to live for yourself, and set yourself up for the things that make you happy, then the only way to do that is to live deliberately. Because if you don't do it deliberately, if you don't go to bed when you know you should go to bed, so you can get up and do that exercise that you know makes you feel good, or you can read that literature that you know satisfies you intellectually, or have the relationships with your kids or other people you care about that you know that you really want to have, unless you're deliberately doing that and making the time and being disciplined about protecting that time and energy, then Netflix will grab you. And every mm. other organization that's trying to take make money out of your weakness will grab you and you will just live at the whim of those powerful those those powerful institutions. Mm. It's super, super profound and, and really, really helpful. David, thank you. So much for a really like thought-provoking conversation, but also one that I feel like I can pr practically start to, to 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 tailor into my life and to invest into. Um, I guess just living more deliberately. Um, hey, obviously the best place for people to um, to learn more about and hear some of the kind of themes that came out of this is, is on, on the Team Guru podcast, which is just sensational and it's you know obviously a really really great podcast for people to get into. What are other ways people can connect with you? Well, you can connect with me on SoundCloud, Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter, which is what I say at the end of any of all of my podcasts. So it rolls off the tongue really easily. You know, connecting with a podcast is is the best way to start. You can write me as many emails as you like and, and send me messages on Facebook or Twitter if you like. Um, I'm happy to chat. I always love chatting with people who listen to my podcast. I love hearing how my podcast has affected people. You know, way, talking about that Craig Ballantyne, I remember a guy write, wrote to me and he must have been in the right, he must have been fertile ground, but he wrote to me a few months after that podcast and said it had changed his life. Just the little acts of getting up a little bit earlier in the morning, making time for the things that were important to him, setting up some rules in his day so that he controlled his day. He had ownership of the outcomes of it and how much it had changed his life. All those incremental things, those tiny little things he did and the the where it took him from point A to point B, which he described for me. Uh, it was so powerful and that makes it all worthwhile. So I love hearing those kind of stories from listeners. It makes it all worthwhile. You know, so I'm, I'm lucky, Shane. I have between 20 and 50,000 people listen to each of my episodes. But if only 10 people listen to it and it made a difference for those 10 people, I'd still do it. I, I, I love the impact it has. Incredible. Well, thanks so much for joining me on Phone Calls with Clever People. It's been so great to have you, David. Thank you for having me, Shane. That's it for another week of phone calls with clever people. Thank you so much for taking the time to invest in you by checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the episodes as they're released. And of course, I'd love to hear how this has added value for you in the reviews. Have a fantastic week.